0: This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Obihinastaino Alamur Dunya Wuddin, Al Aqiwatil Mutakina Walla Udwani Al Alamin, Wassallahumma Wassalam Alanabina Muhammadin Walla Alihi Wassahabi Ajmain, My brothers and sisters, Inshallah Ta'ala, we are continuing our series in which we discuss some of the major sins in Islam. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us and to protect us from falling into these sins and grant us tawbah if we do so. Now, we have spoke about many different ones and today we're going to be discussing some of the sins that have something to do with wealth acquisition, money, and what is known as having a haram income. Uh, What are some of the rulings regarding it? How should you avoid it? And of course, the fact that they are considered among the major sins in Islam. Now, with regards to wealth and money, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he talks about it, Allah mentioned that it is a fitnah. Innama amwalukum wa fitnah. Indeed, your wealth and your children are a fitnah. Now what does the word fitnah mean? It means a test and a trial. So whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows upon you wealth, Allah is testing you, what will you do with it? And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at you, where do you acquire your money and how do you spend it? In fact, this is a question that Allah will be asking me, you, and everyone else. In Yawm al Qiyamah, Allah will be asking everybody these four questions. And among those four questions is, وَعَنْ مَالِهِ مِنْ أَيْنِ اكْتَسَبٍ وَفِي مَاذَا أَنْفَقٍ And Allah will ask you about your wealth, about your money. Where did you gain it from, and what did you spend it in? So, this is a serious matter that you need to really ask yourself. Every morsel of food that you eat, everything that you buy, everything that's in your bank account. Everything that you've acquired, where did it come from and what do I spend it on? Because this is a question that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask you about. And there are general things that one has to always keep in mind when we are discussing, and that is that Allah wants us to be just in our dealings. Allah wants us to be generous in our giving. So there are certain characteristics that you have or characteristics and manners that you must embody as a Muslim when you are acquiring wealth and when you are spending it. And of course, there are certain obligations and responsibilities upon us. Now, for example, if you are someone that is earning, then Allah expects you to spend some of your money upon certain people. You must spend on your wife and children. You must spend on your parents. A thing that many people might not know, we know that our parents have to spend on us. But we have to do the same thing, especially when we grow up and we have our own means of income. It is wajib upon you to take care of your parents if they need it, if they need it, it is wajib. It is not something that you do out of the kindness of your heart. You're expected to do this among their rights. So generally speaking, when we have money and wealth, there are certain rules and regulations. We don't just live just like that. And similarly, there are certain things that you are not allowed to do. And among the things that are considered a major sin in Islam with regards to money is, of course, what is known as theft or stealing or seriqah. And this is inshallah what I want to highlight today. Uh, stealing is a major sin in Islam. And stealing comes in many forms, right? So it's not just a conventional stealing of burglary and robbery. Nowadays, people steal through trickery, deception, and fraud. And the means might change, the way might change, but it is always a corrupted act that one is not allowed to do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran: La amwalakum bilbatin. Do not consume each other's wealth between each other or from each other based upon falsehood. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us that we are not allowed to transgress upon others, oppress others, and take what is theirs. And of course, they should not take what is ours. And as long as everyone abide by these rules and laws that Allah has given us, then the community and the society will stay safe and things will work out. And this is where, it's where personal responsibility and of course general rule of law comes into place. طيب. So, what are some sort of the consequences of stealing? First, one thing that I want to highlight also is that Islam is a solution. Islam doesn't only discuss problems or point fingers and tells you don't steal. It is a religion that is for everybody. And when it is applied and when it is acted upon, everybody prospers. The Muslim prospers, the non-Muslim prospers, even the animals prosper. Because it is a religion of justice and we are here to establish the justice upon the lands. And that means you do it personally, and everyone else does it. And if you do it from a societal level, on an economical level, in a political level, this is what it means to establish the deen of Allah upon the land. So, what are some of the reasons why people steal? They steal because they are low income, or poor, or in need. How does Islam solve that solution? By telling the rich to give to the poor. By encouraging sadaqah. By telling you that you can go to Jannah through sadaqah. So if everyone is giving sadaqah, which is highly recommended, and everyone is paying zakat, which is compulsory, then that would be a problem that is solved. And among the objectives of Islam is to take care of those in need. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ sent Mu'adh ibn Jabal, this great companion, to Yemen, he said to him, make sure you call the people towards La ilaha illallah. Once they understand that, make sure you teach them they have to pray five times a day. And once they do that, and tell them that they have to give zakat and you take it from the rich and give it to the poor so the solution to poverty is generosity and giving and taking care of those in need Ta'ib. so and once that is done it is also the uh, responsibility of the government to take care of those in need and this is how uh, a Muslim uh, ruled if you go back to the Prophet, to Abu Bakr, to Umar, to the right guided khalifs, they would take care of those that are poor and in need. And this is what Muslims should do. Now, once that happens, you also have to establish a law where people don't transgress upon each other, which is why theft is haram. You're not allowed to take others' property. Uh, so, this is why the Prophet ﷺ cursed the thief. He said, sariq. May Allah curse the one who steals. Now you have to remember whenever you engage in any type of theft or stealing that you are cursed. Cursed by who? By the Prophet ﷺ. Who would want to be? SubhanAllah. In another narration, Allah subhanahu wa Taala talks about that the person that steals on the day of judgment, he will be brought carrying that which he stole and he will be judged. Another thing we must keep in mind, my brothers and sisters, is that those among us that are engaged in stealing, that they are not just transgressing upon Allah's law, the hudud of Allah They are also hurting and harming people. And Allah is the most forgiving. So you can always make tawbah to Allah. But the one thing about sariqah and theft is that you didn't just transgress upon Allah, but also upon the people. So even if you make tawbah from the money you stole, you still have to give it back. And if you don't give it back, and if those people don't forgive you, then you'll have to deal with them on the Day of Judgment. So it is among, and this is very important to understand, there are certain crimes and sins that if we commit, if we harm others, they have to forgive us. Allah will forgive you, Allah is the most forgiven, but it is also connected to them. And if they don't forgive you, or if you don't try and give that what you stole back, then they will take your salawat, your prayers, and your zakat on their judgment. So we should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about, about those who steal? Allah says, فَقَطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَا min مِنَ اللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says And the man who steals and the woman who steals Then cut their hands off فَقَطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا Now this is very important to understand my brothers and sisters In the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed a law here This is a penal code or a criminal law And one thing that we must understand is that our religion is comprehensive It deals with issues and solves them Because we are supposed to apply this religion, and remember earlier we said, when Islam is applied, everything prospers. Now, everyone, Muslim, non-Muslim, from all over the world, agree on one thing. Crimes need punishments. For we need to incentivize the people to not commit crimes, and that is done through prescribing certain punishments. And those punishments vary, and people think about it. Some say, if the person he steals, he should this should be done to them. This should be done to them. If the person kills, this should be done to them. This should be done to them. What we all are in agreement of is that there should be consequences to these types of crimes. Now, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in the Quran has prescribed certain crimes upon certain certain punishments upon certain crimes. Now, for example, the crime of stealing is for the right hand to be cut off, the right hand should be cut off. But now we have a problem, and that is that people have only read this verse, and they have never opened a book that discusses the details of how this should be done, when it's done, why it's done, or they haven't even read the explanation of this verse, nor the application of it by the prophet or the companions. And this is why it's a big problem. Let me tell you something. Did you know, that even though Allah says in the Quran, the thief's hand should be cut off. I'll give you an example. If someone, my friend Hamza right now is across me, he's our cameraman, may Allah bless him. If he right now comes and takes my phone and runs with it, within an Islamic uh, uh, government system, he would not be tried as a thief and his hand would not be cut off. Do you know why that is? Because the thief, and the culprit is already known, it's Hamza. I can go and report him, and they can seize him, and they will find the phone on him. This is not the type of thief referring to the ayah. So those who, who, who just grab and run, they are not even considered a sariq within Islam, they are considered as known as a mukhtalis. Now, will they be let go? No. They might be imprisoned, or the judge might deal with them in a certain way. Did you also know that Hamza, who just stole my phone, for example, can uh, appeal? And say no it was actually my phone And what's going to happen There is an investigation There is a court He can appeal the process This is not I mean a lot of people will imagine That this is a bunch of people Running around with swords Chopping people's hands off This is not how it works This is a whole system And in Islam The person If the culprit is already known Then this punishment Is not applied upon him Another very important thing is that Let's say that which was stolen was something that was left in a place it usually isn't. I'll give you an example. If someone is driving a Ferrari and he parks it in front of a a, a marketplace and he leaves the keys in and opens the door and walks away. If someone walking by gets tempted and drives away, he would not be tried as a thief whose hands would be cut off in Islam. Why? Because they take into consideration what is known as temptation. So if something is left openly in a place where people are tempted, then the court takes into consideration and you will not be tried as a sariq in Islam. Similarly, if money was left somewhere openly, thousands of pounds were put on this table and someone left them. And someone walks by and he has debts and issues and he takes it. They take into consideration that this was just lying around. Of course the shaitan might overpower you. That is not the same as someone who planned to burger my home and and comes while I'm sleeping, and opens cracks my safe open, that is pre-planned, whereas this is temptation, these things are considered. And did you also know that you have to be a certain age if you're tried as a sariq? Did you also know that if the person whom you stole from doesn't uh, uh, just takes his money back and says, I'm okay with just this, that you will also not be tried? There are so many things involved. And finally, did you know that the, the companion, Ulam al-Khattab, suspended all hudud crimes and punishments for a year because there was a drought and people were in extreme poverty. And he was like, well, in this situation, people are probably going to steal. And we, what? We're going to suspend this law. What I'm trying to teach you here is that it is a lot more nuanced and detailed than people make it out to be, number one. Number two is that it is a very, very, um, powerful deterrent. I'll give you an example. I lived in Saudi Arabia for about five years, and I have seen people leaving their cars open on the streets, and they go into a shop and they're not worried. A good friend of mine, he would leave his keys in the car, and we would surprise. And he said, "No, I'm not worried." He was actually from America. The point I'm trying to make is that you actually see the lower crime rates in the countries where the punishment for those crimes are higher. And you see the higher crime rates in the countries where the the, the punishment is lower. So it is a powerful deterrent. This is why it works. Of course it works. It comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is not there for thousands of people's hands to be chopped off. It is not there. It is there to intimidate. It is there to protect. It is to deter And if the sharia of Allah is applied and people are taken care of in the first place, you have the constant prevention before cure. So the the ill of societies are prevented, not necessarily cured because we take care of the people to begin with. This is all things that you must take into account when we are discussing it yet. So yes, Allah did say the sadiq's hands should be cut off in the circumstances that we mentioned. And if that happens it will be an example and it will lower the crime rates and thus it will protect the people's wealth and society will be safer as a result of it. Um, This is regarding theft. But coming back, ikhwanifillah, regardless of whether the Penal Code is being applied or not, regardless of where you are, one thing is for sure. If you're in a country where none of this happens, if you feel like you're safe and you can do whatever you want, if you have stolen money, and it's even worse when you steal money from those who are in extra need, like orphans. Allah discusses the stealing of the money from orphans extensively in the Qur'an and in the Prophet and the Sunnah. That's even worse. If you're someone that's engaged in taking other people's money, then remember you, will, you have to deal with the consequences on the Day of Judgment. Remember every single pound that you stole, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask you about it. Remember those people you stole it from will come after you on the Day of Judgment and you will need to pay them back. And what is the currency of Yawm Al-Qiyamah? It is good deeds. So fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not be the one whom Allah and His Messenger have cursed. Do not be the one whom Allah and His Messenger spoke about. Fear Allah and do not be engaged in any form of theft or stealing uh, in any kind. I ask Allah to forgive our sins and to make us of those that have a halal income, not a haram one. Another uh, major sin regarding money that we must of course discuss and talk about is interest. Or riba. Now, this is very important because this is very relevant, especially to many of us that are living in the West. Actually, it's relevant to almost everywhere in the world right now. And riba e is uh, the is interest roughly translated as interest. It involves a lot more than the regular interest that we know. But to to keep it simple, if I have a thousand pound and I want to loan it to someone, and when I loan it. The person I tell them you have to pay me back on this date and if you don't, then the money will be 1,300. And if you don't, then it will keep on increasing. So I am profiting from his inability to pay me back. I am profiting from his misfortune. And this is how riba is based. It is a system of injustice where the rich are profiting from the misfortune of the poor. And remember, among the higher objectives of our religion, is to protect the people's wealth. The low-income person who's already struggling, who was in need of a loan, if the person who loaned him then compounds upon him debts and debts that he cannot pay, and what do we have? Now think about this, because this has been happening for so long that uh, prices get inflated and people are in debts for generation. One person might be in debt his whole life and die while still having, not been, having paid off. And that carries on and carries on. Who's benefiting? Allah mentions a beautiful verse in the Quran. Allah says that, uh, "Among so that the wealth does not circulate among the rich among you." So, among the things that Islam doesn't want is for money and wealth to just circulate among the rich, and then who is left off? The poor people. This is economic injustice this is oppression, this is inequality, and Islam is against all those things. This is why, think about it, what is the whole purpose of zakat? The purpose of zakat is to lift the poor people up, and this is why we take from the rich and give it to the poor. What does riba do? It compounds debt upon the poor, making them poorer and the rich richer. Whereas Islam wants to kind of balance within a society, this interest does the opposite. And subhanallah, it is a major sin. And just as a general principle for you to understand, when we give loans, when someone asks you to help you out with some money, it should be given from an Islamic perspective, out of the kindness of your heart, or as a qurba, a, a sadaqah, or, or helping another person out for Allah's sake. Meaning what? Meaning I don't expect to gain profit from helping out someone. Imagine your friend comes up to you and says to you, I really need some money. And, and then you say, okay, here's a thousand pound, but you expect something in return. This is what's not allowed. Like, this is why it is mentioned or narrated. Uh, there's khilaf if it's a hadith or not. Every loan that gives you profit is riba. I'll give you a good example for you to really understand. Let's say uh, our brother Hamza asks me for a hundred pound. And I tell him, sure. I'll give you hundred pound, but can I use your car for, for like the next three days? Now what's happening? Now I'm benefiting from the, he needs the money. So he's of course going to say yes. So what's going to happen is now he took the money and I drove around this car, which is a benefit. And then later on he pays me the money back. So I, in the end, I didn't lose anything. I have my hundred pound and I gained having a score for three days. So now I profited, and this, is not even, this time I mean, it's not even money so people usually expect it to be money It could be any type of benefit We're not allowed to benefit from the misfortune of others He wouldn't ask me money if he had it himself And this is a mindset that Muslim needs to be in Us Muslims, we help those in need, we don't uh, abuse them or we don't exploit them And interest is a system of exploitation And If you look at it globally, countries have been exploited Continents have been exploited through interest and Islam is a religion of justice and this is why we must fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and enact justice. Let's look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about riba in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala announces war against those who deal in interest. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, min uh, wa Those of you that are dealing in interest, let you prepare yourself for a war against Allah and His Messenger, think about that. Think about that. In fact, the scholars say there is no sin in Islam where Allah has said, uh, "Prepare for war against Allah and His Messenger." Except interest. It is such an injustice, such a big problem, such a sin that some of the Salaf used to say, "The person that consumes riba, he should take his sword in his grave, for he is preparing for a war against Allah." May Allah protect us. Stay away from this sin. Allah even discusses those that say, إن Riba is just like bayah. interest is just like trade, it's just like buying and selling, it's, just, it's, it's fine. No, it's not. اللَّهُ الْبَيْعَ وَحَرَّمَ الربا. Allah has made trade halal and made riba haram. This is the law of Allah. This is the deen of Allah. We're not allowed to consume it. We're not allowed to deal in it. We're not allowed to benefit from it. It is haram, full stop. And don't ever take lightly something that Allah has said, Harabin What comes into play here a lot of times is the fear of Allah. It is the fear of Allah that should deter you. Earlier I mentioned when I was speaking about theft, I mentioned that a lot of these punishments are there to deter the people from falling into the crime knowing that, oh, if I do this, this will happen to me, this will make the people stay away from the crime. But do you know what should be the main reason why you should stay away from the crime? It shouldn't be that you're scared that you'll be put in prison or that you're, you're in in, in the case of sariqah with its conditions, that uh, your hand will be cut off or anything like that. It should be that you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It should be that you're a believer, that you don't want to transgress upon the hudud of Allah, that if Allah tells you to stay away from it, you will. This should be your true motivation. Because when you have the ability to take other people's money, and there's no one else watching, do you know who is watching? It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of these sins that we have been discussing, it all comes back to taqwa and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will be judged by Allah, you will be asked by Allah. And the last thing you really want, my brothers and sisters, is to be engaged in a sin, and this sin has so many bad consequences. For example, people that are uh, engaged in RIBA, and they buy a house based on interest loan, and, they buy, and they're in a business, and they build their business based on interest, and they have a car that is upon interest, and they're upon these debts and, debts and debts and debts, and then all of a sudden, they lose their job, or something happens to them, or they break a leg, and they can't continue their job. Now, all of a sudden, they have to pay all of these monies, but money, but they can't, so they lose their home. And, they, and then what happened? All of a sudden, they fall into a life of poverty. And then what happened? then they have anxiety and depression and mental illnesses and they might end up killing themselves or they might result into theft. So you see how riba became full circle and it creates criminals. I mean, people that take riba are criminals to begin with, but you know what I mean. So, uh, it's, it's such a social problem. It's an economical injustice that turns into a social ill. And all of this can be abolished. And Islam came to abolish all types of injustice and to establish adil. This is why Islam is 100% against riba. And, ikhwan filah appreciate your religion. How uh, really it, it's a, a religion that takes care of all. How is a religion that speaks about things related to finance and politics and personal morality and health. It is, in, it is the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is deenullah and appreciate it enough so that you may study it and learn about it and read about it. And the more you learn your religion, the more you understand what you should stay away from and what you should do. And especially, let me talk about those people that might have more of a risk of falling into riba transactions. And those are the accountants or the bankers or the people that are dealing with these types of issues. Learn your religion. Especially learn the transaction fiqh. Learn the things that are haram and halal related to these things because they relate to you. And as a general point, my brothers and sisters, there are certain aspects of your religion that you must learn. I'll give you an example. Let's say you want to get married. You must learn about the the fiqh of marriage and what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, the rights and the responsibilities, what it means to be a father because you're going to be fathering children, what it means to be a mother, the rights of the children, all of these things because they then relate to you now. If you're opening a business, you need to learn the rulings regarding business and transactions and halal income versus haram income. You need to learn that so that you can be someone that follows Islam correctly. And this is what, And then there are general things you all must learn. Once you go to hajj, and I ask Allah to all uh, help you go to hajj, you must learn how to do hajj. So this, there are things that you need to learn. And this is no different. Stay away from these schemes and these uh, fraudulent ways. Of making income, and if you're not sure, stay away from it. That's a general Islamic principle. If you're not sure, don't do it. If you're not sure, don't do it. Always ask someone that is knowledgeable. Always make sure that what you're earning is halal. Finally, Ikhwanul to highlight the danger of riba, I want to share with you a story that happened during the time of Imam Malik. Imam Malik is one of our great jurists in Islam. He's among the four Imams of the famous madhabs. Imam Malik bin Anas. He is uh, the founder, of course, of Malik Fiqh. A man, during his time, he saw another man intoxicated out of his mind. And we will speak about drugs and alcohol in a, a following lecture regarding them being a major sin. But this man, he was so intoxicated, he didn't know what he was saying. He was uh, falling around and, and he, couldn't, he could barely stand up, didn't know what he was saying. And this man, he looked at him and he said, I swear by Allah, there is nothing worse one can put in his mouth than alcohol. And if that statement isn't true, my wife is divorced. It's an interesting statement. He said, I am so sure. Look at this man. Look how intoxicated he is. He's crazy out of his mind. He can't even stand up. If there is anything worse that one can consume than alcohol, my wife is divorced. And he wanted to just kind of make a point of how bad. Uh, alcohol consumption is, and that he genuinely believed there is nothing worse. But then he got a little bit worried, wait a minute, is, the, is my wife divorced or not? So he goes to Imam malik and he tells him, this is what I said, so what is the ruling? And Imam malik says, I have to think about it, come back to me, and he, he genuinely thinks about it. And something that we should appreciate is that he didn't immediately answer. Right? And, and it's important that uh, You should think about These t- types of things So then later he comes back And he says yes Yes your wife is actually th- that, that statement of divorce th- It happened Because there is something That is worse than one can consume uh, uh, That is worse than alcohol And that is of course The consumption of interest and in riba The consumption of interest and in riba It is worse than alcohol So when you see someone Wearing this business suit And dealing in haram interest Right? and then you see someone else intoxicated out of his mind in a bar, you might be generally thinking, oh, this is a decent, upright guy, right? And this is a messed up person, may Allah rectify him, no. Interest is just as bad, because it perpetuates injustice, and Islam is all about adil and justice. Islam is all about the protection of wealth. Islam is, Islam is all about making the people that are poor and live in a better state, not a worse state this is why theft is haram this is why trickery and bribery and fraud is haram this is why riba is haram and i ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us away from this major sin and to make us of those whose income is always halal why is it so important that our income is halal my brothers and sisters This is my final point the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa sallam mentioned a man that was making dua and he was really raising his hand and making dua and in need of allah but then the Prophet Sallallahu said what he was wearing was haram, what he ate was haram, what he drank was haram, and he was raised in haram. How will his du'a be accepted? So among the reasons why sometimes a du'a will not be accepted is the person that is making the du'a is immersed in living a haram lifestyle or from a haram income. This is why we must cut off all streams of haram income, fear Allah. And consume that which is halal and good. I ask Allah to make us of those. to zakamallah khayr. Halallahu akhuru dawan alhamdulillahu alayhi wa sallam alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This recording was produced by Green Lane Mashdid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemashdid.org.